Hello, everybody. Hopefully this is working now. YouTube was giving me fits and giggles trying to figure out how to get the streaming keys to work today. Uh, but as you can see, early morning, February 1st, we're trying something a little bit different today. Uh, yesterday, we put up a video, which I think a lot of you are familiar with, entitled Sony to Acquire Bungie, talking about this secondarily stunning transaction, second, of course, only to Microsoft and Activision, in January of 2022, what it means, how it operates, how weird it is to someone like me to see a major corporation give full control, full creative control over to another party as part of that transaction. And I thought, because of the number of comments that I've received, both on Twitter, through my DMs, emails, and in comments to this video, that we could talk about a few aspects of this live uh, as an answer, as an additional response to the commentary that I made, because when I talk about things, I see what I see, but I can't anticipate what viewers like you will actually be interested in talking about on this score. So with that said, I do want to give a plug, as I did in yesterday's video again, for the fact that I will be joining the BitCast on Sundays at 11 a.m. If you enjoy virtual legality, hearing us talk about analytical things, business and law of video games and this industry, please do check that out. I think it's going to be a big deal. I think you're going to find that there's a lot of intelligent conversation going on over there uh, that you're going to enjoy. So please do check that out. Now, as I said, this video, Bungie Bought, led to a number of questions and items of interest. So one of the things I want to do with this video is I want to talk through some of the major points that I see raised in those comments. I also have the chat window open. If you've got a question that you think is something that's useful, please do flag it. Of course, we've got super chats. Don't feel obligated to use those. If you're not inclined, we appreciate the support, but absolutely not mandatory. If you use the at Hoaglaw, H-O-E-G-L-A-W, all one word, I will see that. It gets colored in the chat that I look at, uh, and I can see more obviously questions that you want to ask. Doesn't mean I'll miss them if you don't use that, uh, but it's a little bit more likely. So please do use the chat, pop in, ask those questions if you've got them. I've got about an hour, 50 minutes or so before I have to get back to day job lawyering. So let's dive right in. Just at the top of this, I wanted to highlight a few things uh, that jumped out in the early comments. Uh, first of which is... Destiny is pretty much the longest running mainstream live service IP that is still gaining new players, a market Sony lacks any holdings in. Sony in this purchase most likely wants the talent at Bungie to support their endeavors into live service markets. That's in fact exactly what it looks like from the top of their press release and cares less about the IP held by Bungie themselves, which as it turns out, a number of commenters brought up. I had mentioned Myth and Oni. And yes, I know a number of you like to correct me and I have no problem with that. I had said Ori in yesterday's video because... Frankly, Ori is a more salient modern day intellectual property than Oni ever was, uh, but Oni apparently has some ownership issues. So does Myth uh, with Take-Two when Bungie was going through publishing with them. Uh, and so Bungie might realistically only own Destiny at this point in time. And as we mentioned in yesterday's video, I think there is a lot of value and importance to whatever their next thing is. Sony would have seen that in evaluating the transaction. And if you haven't been on social media for a while, there's also rumors and whispers of Microsoft and Xbox also being engaged in those talks. I'm gonna talk about why I think Microsoft would have balked at this. Although I think if you saw yesterday's video, the answer is obvious enough. That control provision would make any corporation balk, 
except apparently in this instance, Sony. Uh, so I do think there is value in that live services angle and you don't have to love it. Uh, if you're a commenter on virtual legality, I know a number of you don't like the live services concept, view it as microtransactions, don't love a number of the things that have happened with the video game industry in the last few years. I don't necessarily blame you for that, but certainly Sony doing its fiduciary best for its shareholders and its investors has to try to find ways to crack into a market that is so, so lucrative for people that are playing video games. Epic lives entirely on the live services concept. Fortnite runs their company now at this point in time. And these companies, both Microsoft and Sony, and to a lesser extent, Nintendo, have to be paying attention to what is going on with the marketplace. That's their job. That's why they get paid the big bucks. So I think that's the right analysis there in respect of what Bungie brings to the table, that institutional know-how, as I mentioned yesterday. There's another comment here I thought was very interesting. It says, the level of autonomy indicated in this deal reminds me of how Cygnosis operated for the first few years under Sony, so much so that Wipeout and Destruction Derby ended up on Saturn and N64. Going by that, I don't see this arrangement as being permanent. And this is one area that I wanted to clarify from yesterday's video. I make at least a few speculative guesses as to how the shareholders agreement or the provisions of this document actually wind up interacting with how Bungie will operate after its purchase because we can't see it. We might not ever see it. That might be something that really doesn't get filed in a way that we can evaluate. Of course, if it does, we will evaluate it here in virtual legality. But there are notions of guardrails around something like this, right? When Bungie says we're in charge of our creative destiny, the most obvious thing that that means is that they get final say. But it doesn't mean that Sony can't participate in those calls, can't make recommendations, can't otherwise be the owner of this entity that they're buying for a little less than $4 billion and that they'll be funding to actually make the games appear in the future. So if you're Sony, you want to have a say, you want to be able to get on the phone and say, well, are you positive about this? Hey, we've got Gorilla making something that's almost identical. We should really think about coordinating this a little better. And I think that's a part of what's happening there. There can also be other parameters. Okay, bare minimum, you have to release a game, right? Bungie, yes, you get full creative control. We bought you. You can't just sit on your laurels and not do anything or just do something that's completely crazy. So there have to be at bare minimum, you know, internal back office politics uh, or realistic, real politic conceptions of how this is going to operate, even if Sony doesn't have final say. And along with that, in a contract, you could have parameters. You could have a concept that says this will be reevaluated in a little while. This will be evaluated if X, Y, or Z milestone isn't hit. And we don't know what the specifics are there. Presumably Sony and their counsel isn't just letting Bungie effectively take Sony's money, run and do whatever they want with it. But we don't know the specifics there. And I tend to agree that both in contractual terms and realistic ones, I don't think this pure independence on a company that is ostensibly owned by another can exist forever or even into the medium term, potentially. I do think there will potentially be friction. I do think there will be uh, interesting statements made probably at some point in the future by the current executives of Bungie. I would anticipate all of that and that ultimately long run, Sony will take complete control over Bungie as it stands today. Or Bungie will collect money and try to buy themselves out again. Who knows how that will go? But I agree that this doesn't feel like a stable position uh, on where this thing will wind up. I do see a question in the chat. Is this live stream new uh, or is this pre-recorded? This is new. I'm talking right now live 
uh, in my office in front of my red wall with my virtual legality sweatshirt on, which is one of my two appearance looks when I make these podcast videos. I am talking to you right now. Uh, I don't know whether it'll be a regular occurrence. Uh, This is the kind of thing that I used to do back in the day. If you go way back into the start of virtual legality, I used to make answer videos about things that were popular or that I felt could use a little bit more context or contours when I saw a lot of questions. I like doing this because again, I can't guess as to what others might find either ambiguous or want more information on. Uh, So if you do like this, leave a comment to this video along with your upvotes and bell ringing and everything else. Uh, because that helps to inform me that this is a good idea and I can do this more regularly on these kinds of videos and you can request them of me in comments. Hey, I think it would be a good idea to do a question and answer video. I try to take all of that into account when I'm making these decisions. Next, this looks like the biggest overpay I've ever seen. Literally paid over half the cost of ZeniMax, which is a very interesting way of thinking about it, for a studio that will remain independent within the fold and multi-platform, not to mention they have one IP and the game that they are known for is still owned by your competitor. It is interesting, right, that the press release says, hey, they made Halo. Not untrue as a name of an entity. I'm not sure how many of the people that made Halo are still there. It's a long time ago, and certainly they can't make a new Halo because Microsoft owns that intellectual property. I'm not positive it's an overpay. It really depends on leverage. Uh, One of the things that is happening here is that Sony seems to appear to need content for Spartacus. I know it's still rumored, but it seems pretty obvious that they have to have an answer to Game Pass, which is currently called Spartacus, at least as leaked. And one of the things that they would be missing if they lost access to Call of Duty, which understand that they did, right? Even if Phil Spencer's statement that Call of Duty will remain on PlayStation is something that winds up actually happening, the one place we know Call of Duty won't appear is on Spartacus, whatever Sony winds up calling it. And since Sony's boring, it'll probably be Game Service Subscription Plus. Uh, They like those kinds of names. Not that Game Pass is any great shakes in terms of imaginativeness or creativity. It does what it says on the tin. But it might not be an overpay, even if if you just analyze the assets in a vacuum, it looks like one. If you're Sony and you're throwing resources into this fight of gaming as a subscription service that you know is existential to you because Xbox and Microsoft has thrown $100 billion at it, you know Call of Duty won't be on it and you don't have an FPS backstop. When these services essentially live on variety, hitting everybody where they need to be in terms of what they want to play, then this deal can become much more valuable to you than the assets just sitting alone for Bungie. So I've seen this a lot. I suggested yesterday that this seemed like a high number for what this company is currently doing. But with the institutional knowledge for live services that we talked about and the fact that this was a high leverage position for Bungie against Sony, and it certainly appears that Sony needed an FPS in their stable even more than basically anybody else operating in the industry, you wind up with deals like this. I really honestly think that Microsoft would have been engaged in these talks at some point in time. I heard rumors of two weeks ago. That seems pretty late in the day for a transaction of this type, but who knows? Microsoft would have been involved in these talks. Bungie has that history there. And I really, truly believe Microsoft said, look, we can't, we, we, we can't give you full creative independence and in publishing rights. We promise to do with you what we're doing with ZeniMax and Activision and otherwise try to keep you in a place where you're loving your job, but we can't spend this money by your company and then promise you these things. And Sony in the position that they were in said, well, it sounds like we have to. 
We did get a $5 super chat from Chad Talbot. Happy morning, Mr. Hogue. Thank you for your work and for the live stream. Yeah, uh, as I said in the tweet that I put out here, very impromptu, didn't know that I was going to do this. Have to kind of squeeze things around when I'm doing a lot of law uh, on the day, but this made the most sense to me for today. Who knows whether live streams in the future, especially in the morning when I can work them around client meetings, make sense. If you do like these, again, leave that comment uh, because I don't know what I don't know in terms of what works for this community and elsewhere uh, in terms of answering questions or whether you would have preferred me to try to find time to put together a more formal virtual legality episode. I'd love a video talking about how this deal could help Microsoft's case with the ABK acquisition if it does help at all. And I saw this question repeated. The notion being that Microsoft purchasing Activision could potentially get into regulatory issues. We did a video here in virtual legality on that, but Microsoft can at least turn to the FTC now and say, look, Sony just bought Bungie. We're in an era of consolidation. If you don't eat, you will be eaten. And we have to engage in this process. It is competitive. We're all competing with each other. And does that work when presenting it to the FTC? I don't think it hurts anything. Uh, but I think when you look at this, there's a couple of things happening. One, obviously, massively, massively, massively different in scope and size, right? On the Microsoft side, we're talking about a near $70 billion acquisition. Here we're in the mid threes. That is a massive difference. Also in scope of content. When Microsoft buys these big publishers, they're buying huge numbers of developers, working on huge numbers of projects. And that's the same for both ZeniMax and Activision. Here, as pointed out with the overpay question and concept, what we've got is a company that essentially makes one game. Uh, and so if the FTC were not inclined to listen to Microsoft on that point, they'd say these are different deals in kind. They are specifically different in what you're doing, Xbox. And so this isn't gonna get you very far. All of these are effectively rhetorical devices. As we talked about in our videos, the FTC is evaluating this on metrics that are effectively projective. Will this hurt competition in the future? Does this deal that Sony's buying Bungie change that analysis? I would argue that it doesn't. It can sound rhetorically helpful, as a number of folks have mentioned, but the regulators are supposed to just be looking at the combinations in front of them and whether or not that changes the level of competition. Sony buying Bungie, I don't think really does. It's small, it makes one game. It doesn't change the status quo, especially from their perspective, because Xbox is gonna have total control over Call of Duty and Sony can make the story that they can't compete on the market that the FTC might well be concerned about, which is cloud services and subscription services for video games that Microsoft appears to have a stranglehold on. Sony can tell the story that they need to buy this to compete with that at all because those games are not going to be appearing on their service, period. And Xbox has a much more difficult time with that because of the purchases that they made. I still think the Xbox Microsoft Activision deal will go through. I do. But it's got a tougher time making those arguments, telling that story to the regulatory bodies than Sony does. So does it help? Doesn't hurt. And maybe you find a sympathetic mind in one of those regula uh, regulation industries. But as we stand right here, I don't think it makes the difference uh, on its whole. Thanks for the video, Hogue. I would imagine that Activision Blizzard deal impacted this decision. Was this decision made in the last two weeks? Probably not. But Sony probably heard of these talks far before Microsoft announced it. I mentioned this a little bit yesterday, but there is no doubt in my mind that Microsoft and Sony in general, in their back offices, have at least some understanding of what the other is doing 
basically at all times. This happens in every industry. People move between companies. There's little ways to find out what's going on. I like to tell the story. I might've already told this story before in virtual legality, but when I was switching law firms uh, here in Michigan, I went and had a quote unquote dental appointment to go talk with another law firm. And when I got back to my desk at my original employer's office, I got a phone call from my CEO that asked me how the other offices were. And that's just the way these things kind of work. Uh, in the business world in general, is that people know people and the information filters around. So I've no doubt that Microsoft and Sony knew at least the contours of what each was talking about with these various companies. And does that mean that this was a reaction to that transaction that Activision and Xbox announced? Somewhat. It isn't like this deal got negotiated in the last two weeks, but as I mentioned in my video yesterday, it is tremendously clarifying when you see an, a deal actually announced. You don't know that Activision is gone, not truly, until that press release goes out. And yes, things can unwind, regulators can get involved, but as far as Sony's concerned, they have to act under the assumption Call of Duty is gone, not available for Spartacus. And if you're building your platform around the possibility that it will be available and it's not, well, if you're in present talks with a company like Bungie, that can be clarifying. What were you asking for again? Total independence? Did we balk at that? Oh, we've got a new evaluation of whether or not that'll be okay. Oh, you're asking for 3.6 and we only offered 3.3? Well, let's get to the table and work something out. When you have those situations, a lot of problems in the negotiation process can melt away. So do I think it's a reaction? I do. I think it's probably a reaction from November, not from this last two weeks but it certainly was something that I feel that Sony talked about behind closed doors when that Activision deal was made public. Now, I've done a number of comments here from the video. Let's back up. I promised folks I'd be looking at these at Hogue Laws, so let's do that. Gaming Forte, at Hogue Law, great breakdown last video. Not a question, but I very much appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm always happy to hear that folks are getting some information, education, hopefully entertainment out of these videos, so thank you so much. I already answered that this is live. I'm talking right now. Uh, at Hoglaw, do you see this being Sony's bargaining chip for the eventuality of coming to Microsoft and negotiating COD stay after the 2023 games? Yes. I think one of the things that was happening with Phil Spencer saying he hoped Call of Duty would be on Sony is that at some point, the existing co-marketing agreement is going to end. And when that co-marketing agreement ends, Sony, being wise, being a well-run company in certain respects, doesn't want to be in a situation where they must have that contract. Because when you find yourself in that situation, then, well, you've already lost. The other side has all the leverage and you're going to wind up giving them basically everything they want. You must have the contract. Sony doesn't want to be in that position. They want that contract. They want to be associated with Call of Duty. It's made them money in the past, but they can't have to have it. And so they would have been working on, and I would argue are continuing to work on things that can get them out of that position, that can afford them leverage and the ability to walk away from that table if push comes to shove when they have to do it. So I definitely think that that is a part of the equation. Thank you very much for the question. Could this sort of acquisition be a method that Sony is pursuing to protect their relationships with other developers? Purchases to make a coalition rather than typical purchase for ownership. A couple of folks, and I think there's a comment here uh, in this video uh, that talks about this, says, this feels a lot more like a partnership than an acquisition. If you're going to give me $4 billion, you're going to pay my funders all that money, and then you're not going to demand that I publish only on your platform or otherwise be able to control what I make. That does tend to sound more 
like a partnership. Do I think this is the method they'll use to acquire other developers? No. I don't think that you can actually run a coalition with the independence as described by Bungie. Sony needs to be able to control the output that it has from its studios, make sure they aren't doubling up on efforts, work with technology the way that they want them to, et cetera, et cetera. So this feels to me like a special one-off circumstance. And in fact, I talk about this on a video that hasn't released yet, but you can see that probably when it does in the next 24 or 48 hours. Uh, but in fact, I would say that if you're running a risk here with respect to giving this, it's not just because you don't have control of Bungie, it's also because you're bringing in the new kid to the party and it would appear that you gave them a bigger gift than any of your other subsidiaries actually have, right? If you're Sony Santa Monica, you say, hey, we did okay with that God of War. Can we have creative independence? No, says Sony. Insomniac comes in and says, hey, Spider-Man's doing all right. What if we didn't want to make a Spider-Man 2 or 3? Can we have some creative independence? No, says Sony. Sony can't operate with just everyone having creative independence. That's not a company. That's effectively a loose consortium that maybe does something well and maybe makes profits, but isn't controlled for their investors. And they need to be able to tell their investors that they're being good fiduciaries and making sure that that money goes to the best place possible. And so I don't see it as something that's going to be a future answer, although they've clearly expressed a willingness to give this. So... The next company that they want to purchase might well say, hey, wait, are we in negotiations right now? Pretending hypothetically that they're currently in talks with Square Enix. Square Enix comes and says, hey, <laughs> we saw your press release yesterday with Bungie. Congratulations. Big move. Uh, we've got another demand. And what do you say to that? You know in public that you as a company as Sony have given this up to somebody else. Yes, you could say it's a special circumstance, but generally another party that's negotiating a deal with you on those terms is going to extract a different pound of flesh. Because if you're not giving that to us, we know you as a company will give that, then apparently you've got a problem with our negotiation process. We're going to ask for an extra half billion or whatever that winds up looking like. Uh, and different companies are going to have different sensitivities here. Clearly, as I expressed in yesterday's video, Bungie has a strong sensitivity to being led and being told what to do. And so this was very important to them when other companies maybe don't. Maybe the founders want a little bit more publishing push, want a little bit more direction, are sick of making those kinds of decisions. That can happen. It sounds wild, but certainly a founder-led company can just say, you know what? I'd prefer not to be on the hook for all these things. Let's have all these resources go to Sony and I can get all this money from being bought and slowly kind of get to the tail end, the moonlight of my career. I think you saw that a little bit with Insomniac when they finally sold for only 200 some odd million dollars uh, and they had been independent and adamant about their independence really since their inception. So thank you for the question. You have a video regarding the FTC and the Microsoft acquisition? I do. Uh, yeah, generally speaking, if you're interested in government bodies, very often in my thumbnails, you will see me use the logos of those government bodies. So I have a video on the FTC and the DOJ evaluating what this deal will look like, the environment of politics here. Check out the Microsoft Times Acquisition play, uh, acquisition Times Activision playlist, uh, and you will see that there as part of that uh, content. Um, thank you for the question. Uh, didn't Sony and Bungie already have a deal for exclusive Destiny content? Seems like a wasted $3.6 billion at Hoglaw. Uh, well, I mean, it depends. Again, one of the things you have to make sure of if you're Sony is that you have a robust offering ready to go for what is likely to be your subscription service. And Call of Duty 
can't be the only thing that you're depending on because we know it won't appear on that subscription service. That's what really Microsoft is all about when they're making these content acquisitions. So you have to defend against it. And even if you have an exclusive co-marketing deal, that doesn't get you that game on the service where you need it. Other than that, I think you're right. It sounds wild, right? If you give up full control to Bungie and you're not otherwise managing them in any reasonable way, then you're spending almost $4 billion to control the revenue streams, to get the profits. You think they're gonna make money, so you're gonna take control of that. But ultimately, that's why we have to evaluate this from other angles. They want that tech support. They want that institutional know-how. They want that content on their subscription service. And that's how it can make sense. But to those of you that are kind of saying, wow, that doesn't make sense to me, I don't blame you. To some extent, this feels a little bit like they rationalized and had to find a way to justify this to themselves when Bungie was asking for, no pun intended, the moon. And so Sony gave it to them and we'll see how it goes. I anticipate that this won't necessarily go too terribly smoothly, but that's the risk you take. I labeled that video yesterday, one of their riskiest bets. And I really do think it is because Bungie has shown to be prickly with other ownership and Sony has given them everything that they wanted. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes in the long term. At Hoglaw, do you think that while Destiny and other Bungie games will be multi-platform, maybe there will be short exclusivity periods or early releases on PlayStation? Certainly, when you read the Bungie FAQ, which we looked at yesterday, uh, it suggests that that won't be the case, right? Now, they're asking themselves questions, so there can be games playing in these words that only they know. It's very difficult to kind of parse that out in this format. Uh, with with the facts here. They promise that Destiny 2 won't be impacted. They promise that announced things won't be impacted, but it could potentially be impacted if it isn't announced yet. No platform exclusives, no issues with cross-platform. And for future games in development, they say no exclusives, but they aren't really saying there can't be certain things that go in specific places. Uh, so it's possible but when you go out with a statement like this, you are spending your political capital to effectively say nobody outside of the PlayStation ecosystem should be worried. And so if it turns out that they should have been because some significant things were only put on one platform or the other, then I think you do spend that political capital in a negative way for your company's goodwill. So I think we can assume, at least in the immediate future, that Bungie's plan is to not split their ecosystems at all. Will that hold? As I said, as part of this video, I don't think any of this feels like it'll hold forever. Uh, and so it's an interesting state of affairs that Sony and Bungie have gotten themselves into. Uh, let's see here. Uh, at Hogla, Sony just announced the acquisition of another studio called uh, Lazangle through their Anaplex division 10 minutes ago, 10 minutes before this uh, stream. Well, that's interesting. What do we got to uh, Anaplex? I don't know anything about them. Uh, so, oh, anime. Yeah, Sony's been consolidating anime all over the place, haven't they? I know a number of folks have come in and complained about me saying Microsoft and Activision could potentially face regulatory scrutiny uh, when Sony doesn't appear to be facing similar scrutiny on the anime level. I don't, I don't know. I mean, as I said, legacy media, just passive content delivery, videos, anime, Disney, Fox, all that kind of thing, isn't getting the same level of scrutiny, at least it hasn't historically, as the tech-related fields uh, but certainly as Sony continues to gobble those things up, it becomes more likely that a regulator could look at something like that. So very interesting. Thanks for telling me about that. Uh, Sony continues its 
move towards getting those kinds of uh, companies. And yeah, eventually they might have to talk about uh, talk about it with a regulator more fulsomely. Uh, at Hoglaw, please outline the possible infighting that can occur due to the unusual conditions around this deal. I think I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but there's a number of ways that you can imagine this happening. One is that Sony is just unhappy with Bungie, with what Bungie's doing and is bound by whatever contracts they've entered into that can cause practical problems when there is that disconnect. You know, when you see a Hollywood picture get delayed because of creative differences between the production and the creatives, then imagine if those two parties couldn't divorce as those creative uh, differences were happening. That can create massive friction amongst all sorts of parties. I also mentioned, hey, Bungie appears to be getting a benefit that the other Sony studios don't have. Sony studios that, at least from Sony's perspective, have proven themselves already even more than the new guys on the block. That can create certain moralistic infighting, and it doesn't have to be rational, right? Businesses are people all the way down, so when we talk about these kinds of things, it can just be mom and dad gave uh, little Billy something and Mary wants it, or vice versa. And so when you have these kinds of things, you do try to keep things as even as possible to avoid that kind of friction. But clearly Bungie had the leverage, Bungie asked for the moon, and Sony gave it to them, which can create problems down the line. Definitely, definitely, definitely. At Hoglaw, Sony also owns movie and animation studios, stores, etc. Could this acquisition also be about exclusive rights to use of Bungie IP outside of just video games? Something Microsoft can't do well. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have control over the intellectual property. It's unclear what the contours of creative independence mean uh, because we don't have that contract, however it might look like in front of us. But certainly part of this story was, hey, We've got a movie studio. We've got a television studio. We've got a music label. Let's get you involved in the broader world of multimedia entertainment. Bungie has visions of grandeur for what they view as where they want to be in the next few years, and Sony could potentially offer it to them. Sony should have control of some of those things because Bungie wants to be that kind of company that has tote bags and everything else. So I think there's an alignment of interest there. Will it actually prove to be profitable, come to fruition for the parties? I have my doubts. I don't think Destiny is as strong as the Marvel library of stories, uh, but I'd love to see them succeed. I'd love to see all video game companies succeed in their visions of grandeur, however they might look. I just am concerned that Bungie is overstretching in a way that doesn't actually lead them to where they want to go. So we'll see. Sony clearly offered that kind of paradigm, that kind of structural support to Bungie, uh, and it was very attractive to Bungie, at least as far as we can tell on the outside looking in. So. We'll have to see how that looks in the future. Let's see here. Uh, at Hoglaw, just wanted to say that many Sony fans say that Halo will be on PS4 and 5 now when they downplayed Halo as trash before. Uh, okay, uh, Bungie doesn't own Halo. Uh, nothing changed about that even after this deal closed. I would be very, very surprised if we ever saw Halo on a Sony system outside of a sea change. Uh, in the way these game consoles are sold and the way these companies operate. So definitely don't assume that from the deal. At Hoglaw, can multi-platform be interpreted as all platforms except Xbox? It could. But again, when we talk about these statements, when we're evaluating corporate messaging, one of the things we have to note, <clears throat> excuse me, is that you are expending optical political capital. When you go so far as to make statements like Bungie did in their shared vision fact, it is assuming good faith when people read those kinds of things. And if you turn back on that, if you say, ha ha, we said multi-platform, we only meant Stadia and PlayStation, we got you good, 
that might be legally okay. That might be within the bounds of the definitions that you can understand these words to have. It is not politically okay. It's not good public relations. And you didn't have to say all this, right? Nobody was expecting all of this from a deal of this type. The expectation is that when you get bought, you're bought and the buyer owns you and can control certain aspects of how you want to sell your product. When you go so far as to make these statements and much longer statements about how your independence is so important to you, you don't even say you're required. You're joining Sony. Then you have put out there in public that folks that are outside of the PlayStation ecosystem shouldn't worry. And if it turns out that they should have, that can have a cost to your goodwill and good name in the future. Let's continue here. At Hoglaw, why would anime be a problem when there are so many other streaming companies and broadcasting entertainment companies out there? If Sony snaps up a few studios, it's too few to matter. Uh, Well, again, it depends on your definition of the market, right? If the market is all entertainment, obviously not a problem. If your market is even all video entertainment, obviously not a problem. Uh, But FTC, DOJ, other regulators can start to get concerned about taking over a specific market that has a specific audience, not only because that's a kind of monopoly, but also because it can be a kind of monopsony, right? If Sony has all control over anime or even anime in specific regions, then it's the only buyer of things like voice acting services, the only buyer of content for those streaming services. Those prices can go down. And so there's an interest in those things on a content level. There can be because of that because the audiences might be separated. You're not going to switch between watching anime and the latest episode of Downton Abbey, usually. Hogue House does. Hey, we are a wild and varied people here, but you're not necessarily going to see that across the entire market when you're analyzing it in the aggregate. So that's when the regulators can start to get involved. Um, I only have about 15 minutes here, so we'll try to go fast with these at Hogue Law. Bungie can help Sony gain a stronger foothold on PC as Sony PC ports on Steam have been very lucrative. Absolutely. Bungie can continue to support Sony and Sony's move outside the PlayStation ecosystem, right? We saw that in both the press release and some of the things Jim Ryan has said most recently. I know that Xbox owned Halos. I'm just saying and laughing about it. Totally true. Halo not coming over to Sony. At Hoglaw, do you think Jim Ryan's statements were going multi-platform signals Sony is moving closer to day one multi-platform releases? No, I don't think you should assume that God of War 3 is going to appear on Microsoft's Xbox and PlayStation at the same time. What I hear when they say we're going multi-platform is a continuation of the strategy we have seen with them adopting PC. PC is obviously proven successful for them, proven lucrative for them. They've seen the forest for the trees at this point and know that they shouldn't be constrained specifically to their walled garden box. Also, Game Pass is pushing them hard on this. Spartacus exists as a response. But if those two subscription services take off, we are entering into a a post-plastic box under the TV world that Sony and Xbox start to get more concerned about how those revenue models work. And that's about content. That's about services. That's about things that are separate from just putting chips in a box underneath your TV. And so Sony's saying, hey, we've seen the wider world. We're not just a walled garden. We're going to have to compete in this space is a good thing. But it doesn't necessarily mean that Xbox and Sony are all together going to be bedfellows on these kinds of things. So I think it's worth talking about, but we're a ways away from the great singularity of synergizing these game companies and just delivering a game industry as kind of a holistic idea. Uh, We do have some more Super Chats. Thank you very much, Kel, for $10. Talking about what Sony is getting, I think you're focusing too much on games. Bungie has a robust multiplayer architecture, which Sony needs. This could shave a year off off a dozen projects. 
Oh, I, I mean, I think when we talk about price and things for, for Destiny, I don't think any of this deal makes a lot of sense just for Destiny. So if you feel I'm talking too much about that, that's because that's the content that we know. I absolutely think the press release says Bungie is being purchased for its live services information and technological services. That's why Sony does this. They have insourced what would it be building up a research and development team on this particular score. And Sony knows as they analyze their weaknesses that they had a couple. One, they're too dependent on Call of Duty, especially if Call of Duty was going to be a plank in their Game Pass service. Two, they don't really have a lot of multiplayer experience or push. There are certain instances that they do, but for the most part, Sony over the last generation or so has become the third person over the shoulder action adventure single player game company. And yeah, that gets you prestige. That wins you video game Oscars, but it doesn't necessarily give you the robustness to compete in a space that's going to be premised on variety and the availability of multiple different genres, franchises, and more. So Sony looks at that and says, yeah, we got to get that content. We got to get that technological services. It's great to get institutional know-how about something that we don't do well, and that can be more valuable for us than it is for Bungie at the start and for anybody else. So thank you very much for the comment. I tend to agree with you. Uh, and for the super chat, of course, we got another $5 super chat from Arlay TSL. Will this Sony deal for Bungie help Microsoft in their arguments with regulators? The competition is strong in the industry. So one, I talked about this earlier in the video. So definitely check this out when this gets archived. But the answer is it doesn't hurt. Uh, you can absolutely bring up, hey, this is an industry facing consolidation. We need to eat instead of be eaten but it also doesn't change fundamentally, it shouldn't, the analysis that the regulators have to do, which is does your acquisition change the competition level of this industry? And I think it's still gonna go through. That would be where I would put my money if I had to bet on this kind of thing. But a regulator, especially at the FTC, who has rattled the saber and said, we have to look at tech deals more closely, could look at this and say, I've got concerns about the software as a subscription market. I've got concerns about cloud infrastructure in that market. I've got concerns. And so definitely we're going to look at this more closely because it's $70 billion. But also, maybe we need to change something up about this deal. Wouldn't surprise me. Uh, I don't think that'll necessarily happen, at least not to a material degree. But it wouldn't surprise me if it did. So can it help? Yeah, it doesn't hurt. Hey, other people are gobbling things up too, FTC. Doesn't hurt. But it shouldn't make the difference in how their deal is analyzed. Um, at Hoag Law, could you please do a video debunking the myth that foreign companies can't buy Japanese studios? Well, I, I'm not sure it's a myth. Uh, what jurisdictions put in place, Japan included, is specific requirements of who can buy into their economy. Uh, and so I've talked about this in different places on the internet over the last few days. But one thing to note is that for the most part, you can legally structure a deal in any number of ways to get around those laws or more specifically to comply with them as they are written. So if you're buying a company in Japan, you're buying a company in South America that requires specific identities on the board of directors or specific ownership, then you can have subsidiaries and holding companies and structures that give you ultimate control, but otherwise comply with those laws. So what I would say is at a practical level, you can buy anything anywhere but it might take more legal time. It might take more legal expense. Microsoft obviously has thousands of lawyers and huge legal bills and spends money to get these kinds of deals done. And if they want something, they can figure out a way to do it. So 
I, I don't want to tell people that these jurisdictions don't have those regulations in place. They do. But for the most part, you can work with them. You can figure out a way to structure it. And yeah, like any other jurisdiction, the regulators can step in and stop it and do those kinds of things. And Japan might be a little bit more aggressive than others uh, in certain respects. But for the most part, you want to buy a Japanese company, there are ways to get it done. And I might wind up doing a video on that because that is a recurrent question here in virtual legality. Uh, at Hoglaw, do you see Bungie functioning similarly to Sony Online Entertainment now spun off as a daybreak comp game company? I don't know how they're going to function. They say that they're functioning the same as ever. Even when Sony Online Entertainment was kind of a kissing cousin to Sony Interactive and, and doing their own thing with respect to some of their big projects, you still got the you still got the feeling that if push came to shove, Sony could tell them no on something. Bungie effectively says that that doesn't exist here. I don't know how serious we can take that. Certainly there'll be contours and you don't want to piss off the new boss. So there's real politic practicalities in play here as well. Uh, but I don't know that we know how they're going to operate. I don't know that Sony knows how they're going to operate. What they know is they needed this know-how. They needed this content for their competitive streaming service. Bungie was available at a price that they could afford. And as long as they gave them that independence, they were willing to come on board. So Sony taking a bet. I don't think anybody should be looking at this deal and not saying to themselves, Sony is betting on this. Uh, and so when you evaluate these kinds of things, understand Sony knows that. As, as we talked about with Microsoft and people say, oh, they're regulators, uh, their lawyers will have analyzed it. Absolutely, but there are no guarantees. Sony will have analyzed this and said, this is a risk worth taking. Uh, and that's worthwhile to note, but we won't know whether it was a risk worth taking until this actually gets put into practice and we see how these companies operate together. Uh, at Hogla, I remember in the Xbox doc about Microsoft trying to buy Nintendo when first starting. Uh, at Hogla, thanks. At Hogla, if Sony did buy Square Enix, would the FTC get a say in the matter? Yes, any deal over about $100 million in the United States, you have to submit your documents to the FTC slash DOJ and they get to look at it and say, hey, is this gonna be a problem for competition? They don't say anything, or if they give you a note saying you can go ahead, then you can go ahead with your deal. Uh, if they are interested, then they will ask for more information. That's what we call that second look, second view. I think that's almost a guarantee in the Microsoft Activision acquisition. I think it's less of a guarantee here, although they might do it just for consistency's sake uh, with respect to Sony and Bungie. It's at that point that the timeline can get extended. Hey, we need more information. Okay, that wasn't responsive. We need this, we need this, we need this. And then they evaluate it again and decide whether they're gonna try to block it, whether they're gonna ask for concessions and otherwise change the transaction. Um, so if Sony bought Square Enix, it would undoubtedly be for more than 100 million US dollars. I think they're at about 5 billion, give or take. Uh, and so that would be looked at. Do I think it would cause a problem? Uh, no, although I think holistically the FTC would start looking at all these and saying, well, we need to start considering where the bright line is and potentially have statements to that effect. Uh, because an industry under massive consolidation around all corners uh, in one two month period or whenever we might be looking at that deal is something that the regulators say, whoa, okay, we have to start watching this even more closely. And the one that's at biggest risk there is Microsoft and Activision who have the biggest deal, who have the biggest name in console gaming as part of that uh, content purchase. Uh, and so they would be the ones most at risk. But yes, the regulators will start to notice this even more and more and more as these deals start to, to kind of go up uh, in number. Uh, please do that video on buying in Japan. Okay, I, I will certainly consider it. It would take a little bit of research. Um, I haven't been involved in a Japanese acquisition in some time. Uh, so one of the things I tell people is laws can change. Uh, legislatures uh, do things. They change rules. 
Um, and so uh, you wouldn't want a video that didn't at least touch on what the actual rules are uh, in Japan. So that might be something that takes a little bit more time, but I will consider it. Uh, and it's 11.20, so I think we're just going to go five more minutes here. If you've got anything that I can quickly answer, please submit it. Uh, I will be watching at Hogla. I'm, of course, watching the Super Chats. Otherwise, I'm just going to talk about a few more things that I saw in the comments to the video. And again, if there's other stuff that pops up that you're concerned about that doesn't make sense for a full video that I can answer, maybe we'll do another one of these or maybe we'll make this a more regular occurrence, especially with my more popular videos. So please do leave a comment in this video to how you feel about this process, how this looked to you um, as well. Um, Let's see, I can't see a reason to be angry at this deal. Sony had a potential problem. They have no multiplayers or shooters. This helps fix that. Now I admittedly despise Sony, but this is, deal is a good one. And as I supported Microsoft acquisitions, I have no choice but to support this one. Well, I mean, I think you can evaluate any given deal on any given parameter. I don't think you just have to say, hey, I was okay with this deal, so I have to be okay with this one. I appreciate trying to be neutral on these kinds of things, but certainly one party can make a good deal and one party can make a bad deal. I, I think if you're a game player, right? And I say this a lot. You don't have an investment in Sony. You're not looking at the ROI for any of these big companies. If you're just a game player, I think there's very little to be concerned about in this deal as presented because nothing really changed. The world didn't change for you if you're a Microsoft player or you play Destiny in a different ecosystem. The world didn't really change for you on the Sony side. It doesn't sound like you're getting anything more beneficial uh, that you might be excited about if you're a Destiny player. Uh, and so this just looks like Sony burning $4 billion in a trash can to the gamer. Uh, but certainly from a business strategy standpoint for the technical know-how and everything else we've discussed, I do think that it makes sense um, for Sony to make a deal of this kind, even though, as I said in yesterday's video, I don't think I would ever advise to give what Bungie is claiming they got uh, as a concession as part of this story. So gamer side, no worries at all. I have a few concerns about Sony spending this money in this fashion and the friction that it could potentially cause uh, at Sony Worldwide Studios in general. Uh, but overall, I don't think it's a deal that we have a lot to complain about. Let's see here. Get Legal Mindset on. He may have some knowledge of Japanese purchasing. That's a good idea, actually. And he's asked to be on the channel a little bit. Uh, certainly has a love of video games. At Hoglaw, now that you're going to be a regular on the BitCast, can we expect a fancier background in your videos? No. No, no. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a man of the people. I, I'm, a, I'm a lawyer of the, the, the regular gamer. Fancier background. You don't like my red? I, it's, it's, a flat, it's a flat red. No. Uh, no, I honestly, what you might get is a better camera because I don't have a great camera, maybe some kind of lighting so that we aren't just dependent on the exposure from the Michigan sky and it's gray slate wintry mix, giving me just a wonderfully pale complexion in every video in which I appear. Um, so you might see those kinds of things, but honestly, I operate all of this and the law firm on what appears to be every single thing coming in hot. Uh, because I have to squeeze these things in. So if you like content, I've been delivering that. If you like great polished content, I know we're not at the high levels of YouTube for that. So we'll see. Uh, Super Chat, Kyle's on fire, 199. Thank you so much. Not a question, but thanks for all the great work. That is very generous of you. I'm very appreciative. Thank you so much for all that. And with that said, do have to do some real lawyering for real clients. Uh, and so I hope you enjoyed this question and answer period. Like I said, Please do leave your comments. Please do 
check out the BitCast, subscribe over there. We got them, I think, over 100 subscribers from yesterday's video. Love to see them get to 10,000. I think they're going to be a big deal very, very soon. Otherwise, we've got Patreon. We do question time, which is a little bit more generic than what we're doing here, but certainly I was able to practice this format through those question time videos. Uh, if you want to make sure your question is answered uh, here in virtual reality, there's a tier for that on Patreon. Check out that support. Otherwise, subscribing, telling your friends, moving forward, telling folks we're having these conversations, that's what helps. Getting those subscribers in the door, certainly, even in the last few months, gets YouTube paying more attention to the stuff that we're putting out there. And the more YouTube pays attention, the more others pay attention. So if you like this, please do help with that. It is so, so, so helpful. Otherwise, if you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much. I'm not sure this is going to be a podcast, but if it is and you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening there. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Thanks so much, everybody. I will likely archive this uh, and put it directly on the Virtual Legality stream or keep it this way if YouTube's otherwise happy with it. Uh, But thanks so much again for all your comments, all your participation, your super chats, super generous. Uh, I very much appreciate it. And if this is a format that you wind up liking, hey, yeah, absolutely. Um, Let me know because this is the kind of thing that I can squeeze in between client meetings in a fashion that I think is uh, pretty nice uh, for folks that have these kinds of questions. Um, And then I I have one last question that squeezed in after I close the stream. Are all the recent mergers and acquisitions ultimately a bad thing for gaming's future? 499 Super Chat. Thank you so much. I like to be optimistic. I like to think mergers and acquisitions evidence companies that want to put resources in an industry that I love. And if companies want to do that, that means they see value to be provided, customers to be found. And outside of all the stuff we see with marketing and microtransactions and NFTs and everything else that makes people's skin crawl, more money in the industry, more believers in what the industry can be is a good thing. That's where I leave it. That's where I leave you. Thank you so much, everybody. And I will catch you on the next episode of Virtual Legality.